You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 72 covering Times Square and the Icarus Factor. Hi friends! How's it going everybody? We are here... Once again, to talk about Star Trek. I don't know why I keep restating our mission statement every week, but that's I, what we do. I would like to see the one person who downloads this, like, listens to, like, the 48th episode. It's just like, I wonder what this is about. Oh, we're oh, here to Star talk Trek. about Star Thank Trek. You. Oh! That makes total sense now. Thanks, buddy. Thuddy. Thuddy. Yeah, so this week we have, once again, uh, actually pretty two pretty okay episodes that were ruined, but we'll, yep. we'll get to that. yes. Uh, the first one is mine, and mm-hmm. it is called Time Squared. Originally, it was called Time of the Little Two, but uh, I guess somebody thought that wasn't a good idea. So yes, now it's somebody. Time Squared. Someone who wears a sweater vest. <laughs> Just leave it at that. Uh, and it goes a little something, actually exactly like this. Uh, so we open with everyone's favorite beardo, Smiling Bill Riker, having a scrambled egg party in his headquarters. His headquarters. That's right, not his quarters. <laughs> wow, I messed that up bad already. <laughs> Try that again. (laughs) Quickly, Wesley, to my headquarters. (laughs) We'll take the Riker poles. We open with everybody's favorite beardo, Smiling Bill Riker, having a scrambled egg party in his quarters. I realize this sounds like something filthy, especially considering the involvement of the aforementioned beardo, but it's really just Riker cooking food the old-fashioned way for his friends. His friends, for the record, think his food is terrible. Riker blames his ingredients, but it's never made clear whether this is indeed the case or if he's just a horrible cook. I call this one of the great unanswered mysteries of Star Trek. I bet Peter Davis written an entire novel to settle this. Mm-hmm. Oh, and speaking of mysteries, the Enterprise is facing a doozy this week. They've located a shuttle, which they discover a good hour after the rest of us have already read the decals on the surface, <laughs> actually belongs to the Enterprise. It's Shuttle 5, the El Baz, which is already in the shuttle hangar. Even more bizarrely, inside the shuttle is an unconscious second Picard, whom I will heretofore refer to as Doppelcard. <laughs> Picard Prime is understandably shaken by the appearance of Doppelcard and demands Pulaski wake him up so they can get some answers. Unfortunately, stimulants have the opposite effect on Doppelcard, putting him further to sleep. Yeah, I've had days like that. But it turns out he's not just suffering from a case of the Mondays. Doppelcard and the duplicate Shuttle 5 are from six hours in the future, where the Enterprise is destroyed by some smoke, leaving only one survivor. Suddenly, without warning... Assuming finding a time-swept version of the captain with a visual record of exactly what's about to happen counts as without warning, the Enterprise encounters some smoke. Picard Prime kills Doppelcard for some reason, puts the ship in reverse, and everything's fine. I should state for the record that most of this sounds incredibly stupid and nonsensical when I break down what happened event by event, but the episode itself was actually really creepy and unsettling. A lot of that, I think, has to do with the fact that there's nobody around to braga this kind of thing up yet. (laughs) Give it time. Yeah. Time. We'll, we'll, we'll be there soon enough. Time squared. Time, time. Time and time. <laughs> you look like a man who can get time. Uh, get my busy good thing, living or get busy timing. That was the worst. You're, You're the, the worst. worst. <laughs> nope. I beat you to it. Uh, so my good thing, this is a really great mood piece. It's creepy as hell in a really effective way. Oh, yeah. No, they really, they do a great job of um, sort of playing up how weird it is to have the second Picard. Yep. And, like, that never happened. Like, any of the th- any of the 15 episodes where Kirk met himself, yeah. no one ever talks about how fucking weird that is. 
No, and, and you know, Maine Picard is really freaked out by it. And Patrick Stewart does some great sort of face acting because the, the duplicate pretty much can't interact and can't it's he's the, the whole thing is he's out of phase mm-hmm. and he doesn't really understand what's happening and he has this great horrified look on his face and there's actually some really good directing going on and yeah. some some nice music choices and it's just all really creepy and i love i love picard's reaction to to him right like it starts off just weird and i want to know what this is and he gets more and more frustrated as the episode goes on well once they discover that the ship blew up and he's the only one that left you can tell there's there's self-doubt there there's why would i ever do that my ship is the most important thing why would i leave my ship yeah and because he has this literal manifestation of of that decision in front of him Mm -hmm. he can be angry at it and it's it plays out really well. You're a jerk, fake Picard. Why would you do that? You're Doesn't a make crook, any sense. fake Picard. To <laughs> judge, won't you throw the book? Uh, my bad thing. Uh, well, this doesn't strictly make sense. Technically speaking, there's just a lot of. I don't know. We've seen time travel happen so much before this, and we'll see it so much after. The rules never work like this. Yeah. No, time ever. travel is not a new thing on Trek. No, and when you go back in time, I like the idea. I, I genuinely like all of what happens here. Mm. I like the idea that being thrown back in time means you're somehow out of sync, and you don't really... Like, your body doesn't work right, and you're not really aware of your surroundings until you catch up to your normal time. That's a cool idea. Yeah. But it's never portrayed like that before or since. No. Like, and this episode would be fine if, you know... There was never any other time travel. Yeah. This is just how time travel works in this universe. Yeah. Or if there was a solid explanation as to why, like, the the smoke that I mentioned uh, is probably sentient because it's specifically targeting some energy at Picard, mm-hmm. but we never really get an explanation for that here. And that's the other thing. If it was unexplained, if it was just a, we don't know why, there's a way to do that, too, and make yeah. it cool. Like, we were talking, uh, Matt's favorite episode of the original series, The Doomsday Machine. You never know where The Doomsday Machine came from. It's just, there it is. And everything that's happening is cool enough that it doesn't matter. Yeah. But because this episode was presented specifically as a mystery, what's going on, our whole whole goal is to understand how this happened. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's where our expectations are being led, and then we don't get any clear answers. Yeah, no, if, if you're setting something up just as a flat-out mystery the crew needs to solve, then you can't just... No, there needs to be a satisfactory there, yeah. mystery, like answer to the mystery. Yeah. It, <sighs> Whereas in the Doomsday Machine, there was enough sleight of hand and enough other stuff. Look over here. Oh, my God, there's a bunch of action that you forget that you don't really know and don't really yeah. care because well, there's enough else going on. Well, the thing about the Doomsday Machine is that it was never about where did this thing come from. It was about right. dealing with this thing. This entire episode is set up around what the hell is going on. Right, and that in that situation, you do need an answer, yeah. and there wasn't one. And the real answer, we found out, we looked at it in um, Memory Alpha, uh, it's Cheat. Mm-hmm. This was originally written as a, as a sort of Q episode where he would show up at the end, and I was testing you, and that all makes sense. Anything that doesn't quite conform to normal physics or normal Star Trek physics or just doesn't quite make sense, if you say a wizard did it, mm-hmm. and that wizard is Q, okay, yeah, fine with me. And what was supposed to happen was it was supposed to lead uh, next week in in the the two episodes we're doing we'll be doing a Q episode, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to lead into that. It was supposed to be sort of a surprise two parter. Yeah, in fact, like they weren't going to say anything until Q showed up that episode. And was all like, oh, uh, what was it? He like had Picard appear in the shuttlecraft, right? And then Picard like, like Picard oh. would leave the ship the second time. Yeah. Oh, this is how this happened. Yep. And then you would then lead into uh, Q Who, mm-hmm. which again it happens soon. We'll be doing that next week. Yes. Um, 
unfortunately, Gene didn't like that idea, and so because what they changed it to had no satisfactory explanation. Yeah. Again, I don't want that to over... Like, I'm not going to spend this entire show talking about how this episode didn't make sense. That is a consideration, but they overcame that with enough great acting yeah. and great mood stuff and really solid character stuff and good writing up until the last act that it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And... So yeah, I mean, I it's it's the rare Star Trek. It's honestly rare in a Star Trek episode for me where the mood sort of overtakes the need for logic. Yeah, I usually I it is usually an essential requirement for me for an episode to make sense because Star Trek doesn't usually do mood really well. Yeah, but in this case, it it did. It was very effectively just creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you? Good thing, bad thing. Uh, let's see. My good thing, uh, like, like we were saying, great Patrick Stewart episode. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, his Picard is awesome in this. Like, he's so completely and sure. both of them. Yeah. But, I mean, like, as a character, you know, say what you will about Picard, he is always dead certain of himself and what he's doing. And seeing him start to doubt himself yep. is really weird. Like, there's a part where he just, like, where he gives an order, and then he just stops and, like, no, that's what they want, <laughs> that unless that's the wrong thing to do. Yeah, and he starts, like, second-guessing himself to Riker. Like, yeah. uh, is, are you sure this but, is what I should be doing? Do I don't you know. Think? If I, you were wow. doing it, you would stay here, right? That's not because... He never does that. No, and, see, and we've, had, we've had him long enough. We've had him for a good season and a half now that we know that feels mm-hmm. weird. It's not even us projecting what we know later. Like, yeah. this is... we. There's enough established now that, that that feels out of character, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my bad thing is just, yeah, this episode doesn't make a whole, a whole lick of sense. Um... When I was initially watching this and realized that, it's just like, well, clearly I missed something. This is my fault. I feel like that sometimes. There are episodes that are, like, mindfuck episodes, and sometimes I'm just not paying yeah. attention, or maybe it just went over my head, and I just, oh, whoops. But in this case, no. It, but it like, completely doesn't hold up. It's like, no, this is just not, this just suffers from some bad writing, and that makes me feel angry. But again, a bad revision, it seems, it yeah. sounds like from everything I saw, the original script made total sense, and then Gene decided that it yeah. shouldn't. Which is unfortunate. Also, I, I did focus quite a bit on uh, Riker's cooking at the beginning, which is really just the teaser. Mm-hmm. It's really just the opening two or three minutes. But it's another one of those scenes where part of the, the crew are just hanging out in someone's quarters and doing some casual thing. And yeah. Like the poker game, it's just a nice, like, hey, here's everyone hanging out. Cool. Mm-hmm. No, I always like to see that. Yeah. And um, who was it? It was Jordy, Data, Pulaski. Pulaski and Worf. And Worf, Yeah. And they play it up for for comedy. Everyone thinks his cooking's terrible, and Worf just loves it. Delicious. Mm. I love <laughs> sh- I love shitty eggs. I, I guess on the home world, it was all we ever ate. We weren't on the home world. Shut up. Uh, yeah, he's never been there. <laughs> he's from some colony raised by his Russian parents. <laughs> yeah, well, in Russia, they always ate shitty eggs all the time. <laughs> shitty eggs were invented in Russia. <laughs> Oh God! I just realized. What if what if Worf's um, adoptive parents are descendants of Chekhov? That would explain why everyone was all, no, no one ever listened to him, and why yeah, he was always then, getting his ass kicked. Then his name would be Worf. <gasps> uh, you had mentioned that um, this is one of those uh, times where it's uh, Captain. I think you should come see this, and it actually made sense. Yeah, like we we talk about the whole like. You know, it, it, this comes well, up this all is the something time. I think that was pointed out to both of us by the nitpickers guide. I never yeah. really noticed it until that guy brought it up, but and now it's I just can't like, not hey, notice it. Cap- it's like, what's going on down there? Uh, you should come look at it. 
yeah, I, dramatically I get that, but it really, no. you should never do that for your commanding officer. You should tell him what he's, you know, give him yeah. the information he wants. Whereas this is like the one time that makes sense. Because, I mean, what are you going to say to him? Well, Captain, we found you in a shuttlecraft. Yeah, no. You, it's going to save a lot of time if he just comes down and looks at it. He's coming that, down anyway. Yeah, that actually totally made sense. Yeah. Um, um, uh, there's a neat thing that everyone does. Everyone, like, is super uncomfortable around the Picard clone. Yep. Like, I notice, like, no one ever seems to, like, they rarely refer to it as anything other than him or the patient. Yeah, Pulaski always says, my patient is awake, yeah. like, kind of thing, which is cool. Yeah. I can't tell if you've just stopped complaining about Pulaski because you think I'm tired of hearing about it, or if you're actually starting to like her because you had some decent stuff to say about her in these couple of episodes. It's not that, uh, she's just not bothering me anymore. <laughs> okay. I just, I, I just, If you want I'm to curious. take that as a win, that's fine. No, 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 no. I just... I feel like she develops over the, the series, like, over the season that mm-hmm. she's in. And I feel like she gets more to do, and she becomes distinct from, both from Beverly and from Bones, mm-hmm. who she was based on. Yeah. And especially in these two episodes, they give her enough to do that she feels sort of unique. And yeah. The, I'm just um, curious if she's winning you over or if you just don't care anymore. I don't know if I would go that far, but, like, I'm definitely used to her being there every week. You're not just, like, as soon as she shows up, you're not just going, ah, oh, go away. That's, yeah, it's not, it's, it feels like it's not worth my time to do that anymore. Well, plus we're past the halfway point in the season. She'll be gone soon, and yeah. we'll be back. Like, and, and you know, there's, there's, there was a lot of stuff in the next episode with her that I actually really enjoyed. No, and I, like I said, I feel like they're really getting a handle on her character, and they've taken the training wheels off, and she's not Bones anymore. Yeah. Now they're taking it in a new direction. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the big reasons I'm a big fan of hers, is because you get this character that's fleshed out really well in a single season, and then she goes away and you never hear of her again. It doesn't hurt that she stopped being a bitch to date all the time. Well, and I think, there again, there's an arc there, yep. right? There's one of the last episodes of the season. She's genuinely nice to him. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. We'll see. Um, there's a lot of really good character development in this one. Just subtle stuff. Like, we get what I think is sort of the quintessential uh, conference room scene where... And again, this is one of those things that Next Gen did that completely set it apart from, from the original series, which is... Kirk would always do what he wanted, and occasionally he would ask Spock or maybe Bones. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, he'd just pretty much do what he wanted. Picard always takes his, you know, his brain trust's advice before he makes any decision. Yeah. He makes a really solid, informed decision and doesn't just go on impulse, and mm-hmm. I like that. Um, or if he does, he's at least going on impulse with a full, like... Yeah, like, he at least wanted, like, this is my idea, you guys talk me out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, at least he'll come at it from that angle. Yeah. Whereas Kirk would never, like, some, you know... Some brash lieutenant of the week would say, sir, we shouldn't do that. And he'll say, shut up, mister. That's not how things work here. Off to the hood with you. Yep. Oh, no. No. I was wondering what happened to all those other lieutenants. The hood is a pit that ha- that Kirk has on an asteroid. Yeah, it's not even a ship. Yeah. They call it a ship on the record, so it looks like they were transferred to a ship. But, yeah. Uh, no one ever saw them again. It's just a hole. <laughs> That's where Rand went after, like, season one or two or whenever it was she disappeared. Yep. Um, when she came back, she was a completely different, almost lobotomized character. As opposed to the brilliant and nuanced character she was before that. That's correct, Al. Uh-huh. You just like that wicker hair. I do like that wicker hair. I want to put so- I want to put something in it. All right. I'm going to use your head as a basket. <laughs> you want to put precious in her hair. <laughs> anyway, what I'm saying is... And there, there's nothing even that remarkable about this conference room scene. It's it's a standard scene. But there's a lot of just nice, like, Geordi's like, we shouldn't take this lying down. This doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And Riker's like, well, nothing we can do. Time is 
already, you know, it's already happened. It's like, yeah, eventually we're going to find out what this is. You're not going to stop yeah. six hours from getting here. No, but like, Jordy's a little freaked out. Uh, Data has absolutely nothing to offer because there's just too many unknown variable- yeah. variables. And Riker's just late. It's just everyone offers a slightly different, unique perspective. And I think here might be the first time where that comes together really well. And you see the potential of that dramatic setting. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, it's just like, we need to stall for time, so let's have a scene here. Yeah. Now it's like, no, everyone's got a little different take on this. And it's kind of, I don't know, it just, like I said, one of those little things that is a big part of the show that has fallen into place now. Yeah. Which was nice. There's also some nice continuity. They're talking about, well, time travel's not really possible unless you slingshot around the sun. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that movie. We do do that, you know. That, and then they mentioned the the uh, experiments with the Traveler and all that. Like, the, this is nice callbacks. Like, these guys would know about that stuff, and it's yeah. nice that they mentioned that. Um, For the, I don't know, 50th week in a row, my notes include uh, Shut Up Troy. Yeah. She, I... she should really, you mentioned this, she should be really useful here where Doppelcard can't speak and you really need someone to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. And she just doesn't. He looks scared, and she says, he's scared. Like, really? You don't say. That just like, with makes some more, no with sense. some better writing, like, there would have been, you know, like, she could have at least given some yeah, sort all of... The, all the insights from him. Like, yeah. everything you learned from him should have come through Troy. Yes. That really should have been her stepping up and showing off what she can do. Mm-hmm. But instead of just like, oh, I don't know. I'm sensing he's unconscious now. Yeah, because his fucking eyes are closed. Thank you. Yeah. Like, Pulaski's got a medical chart there that told us the same thing. Uh-huh. Way to earn that fat Starfleet paycheck, Troy. <laughs> they were going to talk about her fat thighs, and I was about to fight you. All right, anything else? Uh, no. Just, I, again, not a not a huge plot. Like, if I really honestly wasn't writing a joke summary and had to legitimately summarize this, I could do it in two sentences. Yeah, no, it's a very quiet episode. But I like that. Mm-hmm. It's quietly creepy and, and unsettling and just, uh, like, well put together. Oh, that reminds me. There's a scene uh, that's done where they watch uh, the Enterprise of Doppelcard explode. Mm-hmm. And it's this really well done effect where it's not, like, played for dr- – it's not played dramatically or anything. It's just a very matter of fact. And then the Enterprise exploded. Right, and because it's taken from the the POV of the shuttle, you don't get a great angle, and you only get one angle. Yeah, it's like it's off-center, and... Yep, which makes total sense. Yeah, like, I like seeing that. when they, Whenever they do the, um, just like, you know, it's supposed to be footage from, you know, a shuttle or something, and it's, like, really well shot and clearly just stock footage from an episode. Well, and that, that seems, I mean, found footage is definitely a whole thing now. Mm-hmm. And, and people, you know, like, handheld cameras became a big deal in the last 20, 25 years. And like, you know, Battlestar Galactic was all shaky handheld oh, totally. cameras. But at this point, TV was still very, as you say, sterile and very edited and polished. Mm-hmm. And so it always is a little jarring to see something that's deliberately not like that. Yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't really a big part of the show's style ever. Like, everything in Star Trek looks polished. Yeah. So it was a little unsettling. Mm-hmm. Which is why, another reason why I really liked fake Star Trek is because... For the first time, they made things like when you're in space, there wasn't really an up. Yep. The camera would sort of spin around because, you know, things would be weird, and I don't know. I like that. Mm-hmm. This episode right. as a whole also had just some really nice visual effects. No, it, it really did that. I, I mean, I, I dismissed it as smoke, but it's a nice, weird sort of funnel-y, like, yeah. whirlpool-y uh, kind a, of... When the Enterprise is getting pulled into, like, a space whirlpool. Yes. 
It's it's quite nice. I, I and again, the visual effects on the show have been a lot better than I remembered. Mm-hmm. I really assumed that you know we all make fun of the '60s effects. I assumed this is a show from the '80s that will now look just as bad, yeah, and it like doesn't at the, all. This, it, it'll be the '60s of the '80s. Yes, <laughs> you just blew my mind, man. Right. Um, but no, most of them hold up. I mean, there's still you know, there's still some things that don't. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, quite good. Yeah. All right. Any any further business here? No. Now I think we're done. Um, I had a really hard time finding a quote just because, like I said, <laughs> this is an episode of, of long, creepy gazes. Yeah, furrowed glances. Horrified looks. It's hard to find a snappy line of dialogue. And the only thing I could think of was, was this line where uh, Pulaski uh, is asking Picard if she's sure if he wants to do something, and he says this. Release him. Do you know what you're doing? No. Release him. Which really seemed more like a Riker line. Mm-hmm. But in, under the circumstances, it makes sense. Picard's like, I don't know what the fuck we're doing. Did, uh, just go. Wake him up anyway. Yeah, what the hell. This is what? weird. Yeah. Look, if he dies or something, it's all right. You have a spare. <laughs> we have six hours to figure it out. Yes. All right. Uh, why don't you now tell us about Kid Icarus? Oh, yes, the Kid or, Icarus factory. Right. The Kid Icarus factory. This is the part where they glue the wings on. Right. Give him his little bow. Yep, and then Uh, they do it again and again. All right, so for the first of about 30 times ever, Riker's offered command of the USS Ares, a, well, I'm sure it's a perfectly nice little ship if you're into that sort of thing. (laughs) Riker's father, Bill Sr., arrives on the Enterprise to, uh, I don't know, congratulate his son and, you know, maybe hook up with with that legendary sweet piece of ass, Kate Pulaski. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Worf is grumpy with Wesley, who deduces that something is wrong, rather than going with mine and Geordi's natural reaction that an already irritated Klingon male has no interest in spending time with an irritating little snot in an unbuttoned onesie. Riker spends the, tri- the trip to the space station, where he'll be pi- where he'll be picking up his new command, complaining and dodging his father, while Bill Senior wanders the halls, whistling "Cats in the Cradle." Eventually, Dad and Bill work out their differences in the traditional manner of Andorian ri- ridiculous blind stick fighting, <laughs> while I laugh and laugh at their terrible armor. And on a more interesting part of the ship, Wesley works out that Worf is missing his bar mitzvah, and he and the crew watch holographic Klingons wail on Worf with pain sticks, which are pretty much exactly what they sound like, for about 20 minutes. In the end, Riker and Bill Sr. work out their differences, Worf settles down to a tolerable level, and Riker decides not to take the Ares because he has a new daddy he still needs to impress, and also he has a sweet British chick in a skin-tight uniform that he can bang on the side. She's not British. No, but she sounds British. But she doesn't. She sort of does. The, the Betazoid accent is a weird sort of not British accent. It's which, Welsh. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Welshies! <laughs> I am also, very drunk. For the record, Matt and I both put in our both refer to uh, uh, Mr. Riker as Bill Sr. Yep. I think his name was Kyle. Yeah, his actual name is Kyle. But uh, we, we kept forgetting that because the Bill thing just will not die. Yeah, no, his name is Bill Sr. <laughs> yes. But for the record, we know his name isn't Bill, so shut up, don't write yes. and tell us that we know. It's jokes. It's mm-hmm. jokes, son. Jokes and jokes. Yeah. Uh, good thing, bad thing? All right, so my good thing is skipping the uh, Riker's... The oh, Bill sorry, stuff. I didn't realize you had, you had mentioned that. Uh, so that, now this episode has some pretty ca- decent character stuff. The Worf <laughs> story is interesting enough to have its own episode. And uh, most of the early Riker, Bill Sr., and Pulaski junk is really good. Like, I like... It, this episode's basically about these three people sort of playing off of each other, and it's really well done. And Pulaski's sort of a... I mean, she's involved, but it's not mainly her story. There's yeah. just that extra... And I don't think you mentioned... The, like, you, you hinted at it. Mm. 
but the fact that they were involved for quite some time. Yeah, no, I wasn't kidding when she when I say <laughs> he showed up to bang her. Yeah, I, no, but that's the thing. I don't think he showed up to rebang her, but no. he had previously banged her. Ah, yes, the rebang. Back in the day when you thought she was hot, at least you can you can reconcile that. Oh yes. Um, but he but she never told Riker, and at first we talked about this like it might have been a sort of bad writing, but then we thought no. She didn't want to tell him, and she the way she backs out of it is very well written. Yeah. We're like, uh, well, it, you never asked me. You never asked me. That's if I'd what people say father. when they when they get caught in a yeah. you know in covering something up. Well, you never asked. <laughs> yeah, no, it was I, I like that, but it was really mostly uh, Bill and Bill Junior. Yep, arguing. No, it's Bill and Bill Senior. Excuse me. Yes, our Bill's been around long enough to just be Bill. Yeah, he is. He is Bill Prime. You're yes. right. Okay. Oh, and also, uh, Riker's eventual refusal of his promotion, that's another big character thing. It definitely is, and it's it's very significant that it happens in this episode. Yes. Because that is, is this is really about daddy like, issues. I, I mean, it's supposed to be about Riker making his peace with his father, uh-huh. but it's way more about him moving on from trying to impress his old father to try and impress his new father. Absolutely, and I get the feeling like they never overtly say this, which is one of the reasons I really like it. Mm-hmm. The reason he doesn't want to take another command, and this is the first time they offer it to him, um, is because he wants to prove that he's better than Picard. Being yeah. his equal does not prove that he's better, it just proves that he's equal. But yeah. taking over as Captain of the Enterprise and doing something even greater is really the only way to step out from his shadow. Yes, he has to kill Picard and then have sex with his mother. Then they all move up in rank. Yes. Exactly. And your bad thing? Okay. The American Gladiator fight between Riker and Bill oh. Sr. is the stupidest sci-fi sport I've seen since the prisoner dueled a guy on the tra- on a trampoline. <laughs> the fact that they're both has- hashing out their issues while they're blindly wailing on each other is just completely fucking ridiculous. Yeah. And, and the thing is, I get that these are both alpha males and they might actually resolve their problems physically. That I can see that working character-wise. And the nice thing about Riker's dad is the, the guy they cast was good. The, ca- the costume they put him in was stupid. Yeah, it's like almost... It's like a business suit combined with a jumpsuit. Yes. But uh, with absolutely nothing to conceal his junk. No. It is a junk-accentuating space business suit. Now, you get a real nice shot of his buffalo shot at one point. Oh, yeah, and you <laughs> you actually uttered, oh, don't splay. <laughs> That was the thing Matt said a couple of minutes ago. Um, but, but I mean, the relationship, like, the guy they got was great. And he oh, yeah. totally, and they play it really well. And the fact that these two are both similar, like, when he walks into 10 Forward, there's, like, 10 guys saying, Hey, Kyle Riker, how you doing? And, you know, like, of course he knows a bunch of people and he's got an old girlfriend here. I bet mm-hmm. this happens everywhere he goes. Yep. Just like Riker. Yep. When Riker gets to be 50 or 60 or however old this guy's supposed to be, that's going to be him going to every ship. Mm-hmm. There'll be someone he banged there and a bunch of people who think he's a good guy and want to buy him a beer. Yep. And I like that. I like that they're very similar. And his first reaction when Troy sort of confronts him about all the issues they're having is to flirt with her. It's like that's that was a really good attention to detail moment. Yep. Um, but, yeah, the, the you're right. The actual fight they have is stupid. Like, it should, you know... It could have been something, yeah. But it it ends up being just profoundly stupid. It, there was a there was a moment in uh, Battlestar Galactica where the, they want to do it. They want to have a scene where like the crew starts hashing out all their problems with each other, mm-hmm. and it's basically done around a boxing match. Like everyone on the crew has the opportunity to box with their, like their superiors or whatever. 
And, and normal earth boxing like we already have. They didn't try to sci-fi it up at all. Yeah, exactly. And, like, it worked perfectly well for that episode. Yep. Like, we just because we're doing something physical with these guys doesn't mean that it ha- they have to be wearing ridiculous plastic G.I. Joe samurai armor. This is one of the drawbacks of, of Star Trek, I hate to say. It's, it's like I was talking about earlier where everything has to be polished and nice looking. Mm-hmm. They also have to future up everything. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. I think that's dumb, but I do think when they try to alien things up, I like that. Like, maybe if they'd gone a different direction and said, this is some weird Klingon fighting thing, or this is some weird, you know, like you said Andorian, but it's not actually Andorian. It's not Andorian. It's supposed to just be a type of stupid Earth Right, it's like, they even say, like, there's a whole expository, the ultimate martial art. Uh Really? So you're going to do a commercial for this horrible thing before you do it. Yeah, the ultimate martial art is two guys wailing on each other with sticks with traffic lights glued to the front. (laughs) It really looked like they were directing traffic for a while there. Um, And it it is very American (laughs) gladiators. like Klingon lame sticks, am I right? No, you're not right. (laughs) You're fired. (sighs) I wonder if I still have Adrian's number. Uh, my good thing, I actually, and and I agree with all what Matt said, but I, I wanted to pick something different. Um, I really like the B story, the yeah. uh, the whole wharf thing, and I'll, I'll give him credit for I think the second time this season. Wesley, this is actually a good episode for him. Like he's a he's a bit player, but he's a bit of a dork. Mm-hmm. But it's actually kind of cute in a way. He cares about Worf. He wants to use his nerd powers to help his friend. Yeah. Like, I get the feeling that he and Jordy and Data hang out, they're all big nerds, and they don't really have any other friends, and Worf is sort of part of their loser's club. Yep. Like, that that sounds dumb the way I say it, but you know what I mean. Like, they're not popular like Riker. They're, yeah, no. They're, they hang out at the loser table. They don't, when they, when they walk into a bar, they don't greet all the people they know. They just go to a table in the corner. Yeah, and hope that nobody makes eye contact with yeah. them. Well, that's not really a problem for Jordy, but I uh, suppose that's true. Um, but uh, I, I just I like that Worf is sort of a, a member of that, mm-hmm. and that that Wesley really goes out of his way to research, you know, Klingon, like what in, in the context of his culture, why 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 Worf would be particularly upset right now, and he yeah. figures it out and he helps him, and that's mm-hmm. really cool. I like that. Yeah. No, if they. <laughs> If, one of the Use, things Wesley needs more of is to just let him be, like, a dork. Well, and that's what I mean. We've said that before. When he's more the struggling junior officer mm-hmm. versus king of all children, Yeah, I like him a lot better. Because was, that's that's a not a bad direction for him. I, I was listening to Will Wheaton, uh, to an interview with Will Wheaton uh, earlier this week and on the, uh, I think it was the Nerdist podcast. Uh-huh. And he talks about how one of the problems he thought with Wesley was that he never, ever seems to fail at anything. Yeah, that makes sense. And like, you know, if he ha- if he'd been allowed to like screw up, then well, if they made him a dork, if they, if you could see him repeatedly failing at being social, like he's a yeah. great student and a great, you know, he's going to be a great officer someday, but he just can't talk to a girl, like that, yeah, that would be all right, something like that. But yeah. no, he ends up with fucking um, Ashley Judd. Yeah, the king of children. Right, king of all children. <laughs> you will lead us, Wesley. Um, and actually, there's a there's a tiny sliver of a C story here, yeah. which is basically um, every time Wesley comes up with a new idea, he has to interrupt Jordy and Data. And I can I can tell from a writing standpoint, they had to give Jordy and Data something to be talking about every time so he could interrupt. Yeah. And that ends up turning into a story of its own where this starbase that they're at is investigating the engines or something because they think they're messed up. And Jordy 
and actually Data are both very hurt by this. Yeah. Like, no, listen, our engines are perfect. You guys are wrong. Listen, Jordy has nothing else to do with his time. <laughs> he has no social life. He has no hobbies. The he Enterprise's and he engines works. are running like a dream. Yes. He he is absolutely the right man in the right place. And he's got the guy who's got his back is a computer. Yep. So, you know, I think, yeah. And it, it's nice because it ends up that, yeah, their instruments are broken and actually everything's perfect. Mm-hmm. And just Jordy gets this great smug look. Yep. And it's just a nice, subtle, he's very, it's, it's a very sort of Scotty thing. He's very proud of his, his mm-hmm. engines. And there's a nice moment between him and uh, O'Brien. Yeah. Where O'Brien's much more down to earth, and you see sort of the, the difference between his approach to engineering and Jordy's. He's like, well, what if there is something wrong? And Jordy's so, sort of hurt by that. Yeah. He's like, but th- there isn't. How would you like it if they came out and started dicking with the transporters? Yeah, exactly. And then O'Brien's like, oh, well, that's <laughs> different. Why no. would they? They're running fine. Yeah, nothing's wrong with the transporters. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it's one of those hindsight things because I don't think, like, we would like O'Brien if we were watching this for the first time. Yes. But we give those scenes sort of more meaning because it's really chief engineer to chief engineer in our minds. Mm-hmm. Those guys are going to be the same one day. And it, so it's it's extra. It adds that extra layer of of meaning to those scenes when those two talk work. Yeah, totally. And I like that. I also like that O'Brien is invited to the to the painstick ceremony. Yep. <laughs> He's just, Wesley's like, you got anything going tonight? Why don't you Why don't you come hang out? All right. I like O'Brien's like just like yeah, I'll go to a Klingon party. <laughs> I didn't say party. That's a mistake that he'll make a few times over the course of Star Trek. That's true. Oh, sure, well, I'll go to a Klingon party. It sounds like fun. Every every time he thinks he's going to something, it ends up being torture. Yep. Usually for him. I really need to stop coming to these things. I also think it's cool that Pulaski goes to it. Yep. Troy's like, oh, I don't... No, I can't do that. And I don't Pulaski's want like, to see you get it. poked with pain sticks with There's a actually cake. a nice moment where um, Worf's almost through the procession of, of guys jabbing him with pain sticks. Mm. Like, he's almost done. And and it, one looks particularly painful, and Pulaski starts forward like he's hurt. I got to help. Like her natural instinct as a doctor kicks in. Yeah, and she's like, I got to help him. And I think as O'Brien holds back and says, No, you you can't. You got to let him go through this. This is you know, you know. Do you know how pissed off he will be if you help him? Yeah, if he made it most of the way through, and then you had to like stop him. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't. And my bad thing, I, I got a little carried away. There's a lot. There's a lot to like in this episode. Mm-hmm. But my bad thing, well, I mean that fight was terrible, but. Overall, I like Riker's daddy issues thing. I think that's an essential cornerstone of his character. But it falls kind of flat here. Mm-hmm. His dad lurks around being sad, and Riker's just a jerk to him. Then they have that terrible fight, and then he leaves. It should have been more powerful. And and really, both characters should have been sympathetic. And because they had to soften uh, Bill Sr. so much, just our Riker, like Bill, comes off as a jerk. Yeah. Like and we know he's not. No, he's got he's totally justified in this, and we need to see some evidence of that instead of just his dad being sympathetic and him being a dick. Yeah. And uh, I looked this up in Memory Alpha, and <laughs> no surprise, Gene told them to scale back the, the conflict. He didn't want them to to be fighting. Yeah. In a, in the future, apparently, we don't have daddy issues anymore. And the thing, and then I were so, talking about this a little bit. Like every dude has this to some extent. Like yep. you might love your dad and get along with him great, but there's still some undercurrent of. That, it's just a natural biological thing. It's just a natural, I am the man now, and it's hard for you to accept that, and it's hard for your dad to accept that. It's just a very primal, fundamental thing. We yep. all have it. And I don't know why Gene would not want that in here. Uh, because he doesn't know how drama works. 
Yeah, well, what the writer who wrote this was told that and said, well, fuck you, I'm not coming back to this show. Yeah, I, you which don't know I how totally understand. <laughs> no, I just, I silently cheered for him when I read that. Like, yeah. good for you. Hey, buddy, you want to come back and do uh, another episode of Star nope. Trek? No, you guys have no idea how character development works, and you won't until this old man dies. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Actually, next season it starts getting better, like, with on that front, when they kick him upstairs. Yeah. There is a brief period where he's alive, but not messing it up. Mm-hmm. We're almost there. But we're not there yet. It's it's just interesting to me that independently, as I was taking these notes, I wrote down, I have this serious problem with this episode and this serious problem with this episode. And both of them ended up being because of Gene. Yep. Both of what I thought should have happened originally did, and then it changed. Mm-hmm. Ugh, just stop it. As your great bird of the galaxy. Uh-huh. Also, uh, we never see Riker's dad again. There could have been an opportunity after, you know, after they didn't have that looming over them anymore, to revisit this. Yeah. And they never do. They all, This always happens. Every, like, I think Worf's parents are the only ones who show up again. Everybody's, here's my uncle this week. Here's yep. my cousin. They, they never come back. Like, here's Worf's brother. Here's Jordy's famous mom. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't remember if his mom was famous, but his dad was Ben Vereen. No, I mean, like, his mom was, like, super famous within the Federation for some oh, or other. Oh, Mrs. LaForge was famous, not yeah. the actor who played Ice. Not Ben, no. Not okay. Mrs. Ben Vereen. Well, I don't know, because Ben Vereen, like, they might have cast two celebrities. I just didn't recognize her. Mm. Like, she might have been somebody famous. I don't know. No, uh, Jordy's mom was played by Jordy in a wig. <laughs> That's fine. When he takes off that visor, you don't even recognize him, yep. so it's fine. Oh, Jordy. Um, but now that that's just... And and this isn't just this show. This is pretty much every TV drama up until fairly recently. Mm-hmm. You'd introduce a, a a family member for for a sort of a shocking done in one drama thing, and then it never would come up again. And I just yeah. I don't like that. It's one of the reasons I like DS Nine better. Is and I heard this explained really interestingly. The reason Deep Space Nine had a, an extended cast of of you know. Uh, sort of tertiary characters was because they never went anywhere. Mm-hmm. Whenever something would happen, they would have to deal with the consequences because they're still there. Yeah. The Enterprise just kept going from place to place, and so next week you're not going to see Riker's dad because you're way on the other side of the galaxy. Yeah. No, Riker's dad was constantly trying to revisit him, but, like, he was always just one step behind. <laughs> Whereas, you know, in Deep Space Nine, you're just stuck in one place, and, and Cisco's dad showed up a lot because yep. he's not going anywhere. It was just like how Bashir's parents kept showing up. Yep. To be weird. Very, very bad man. <laughs> oh, why is Babu my dad? Oh, Julian. Now, well, never mind. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk about that yet. <laughs> different show, different problem. <laughs> now, I just there's a lot. Like I said, there's a lot to like about this episode, and just like the previous episode, it really falls apart in the last act. Yeah, they they could have really. I I would have liked it if they didn't resolve the daddy stuff. If they left it out there. Yep. If his dad had been a jerk the whole episode and Riker just would have said, you know what, fuck you, go away. Mm-hmm. I don't need you anymore, I have a better dad. Yep, and that would have made it even worse. Or, if they'd had some serious issues and they figured it all out and then he stayed in touch with him. Yeah. But this, you know, I just it's hard to care when there's really nothing at stake here. Because mm-hmm. you know Riker's going to be fine and banging every chick there is next week. Yep. He's not... He's not tortured. He's not carrying this around on his sleeve. He's fine. No, he's only irritated by it when his dad shows up, which I totally understand. Yeah, and his dad wouldn't leave him alone. Yeah. He kept, like, sabotaging him, like, hey, you've got a meeting. Oh, it's just me here. 
Wow. I thought we could finally hash this stuff out. I don't want to talk to you. Look, I, w- I ran away and joined Starfleet and became a commander, so I wouldn't have to talk to you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, I mean, there's there's a lot to like here. Um, There's a nice bit where Riker's just hanging out with O'Brien and Ten Forward, just having a beer. Yeah. No, I totally buy those guys being friends. They're very similar. Yep. But not the same. No, they're not the same at all, but I could see those two being friends. They should be. Mm-hmm. Nature's best friends. Yes. Why does O'Brien explode? <laughs> well, just, it's partly because his brain and sexual organ is, organs are in made of potatoes. <laughs> and it's also partly because O'Brien must suffer. <laughs> Sometimes O'Brien explodes just to attract horrible wives. <laughs> um, Troy is useless in this one as well, although... Uh-huh. We do have a good Troy moment here for, oh, yeah. the, for once. And and I was talking to Matt, and I realized as the, the character becomes more tolerable, it's not because they figure out how to write her better at her job. It's because they stop writing her doing her job. And the best moments she has are off-duty when she's just hanging out with people. Yeah. She's always a bad counselor, but she has a good moment she's- where she thinks Riker's going to leave, and there's actually sort of a heartfelt like scene between them. Yeah, she starts crying, and it just hurt my heart. <laughs> Well, the thing is, she's likable, and they just don't know what to do with her. Yeah, no, I lo- I really like her as a character. Yeah, but they'd never use it. And I really like her as an actor. I also don't like the... Jesus, have you seen her? Holy what? Christ. Yes, in person. I met her. Like, yeah. Talked to her. It was nice. She smelled nice. <laughs> this got weird. All right. <laughs> All of this will be cut. Oh, no. Um... <laughs> But uh, the, the, it also didn't make sense in that scene where she said she couldn't sense what, what Riker's feeling. Really? First of all, it's obvious. Mm-hmm. Second of all, this is supposed to be the guy you've made the closest connection with ever. Yep. Third of all, you're an empath. Yep. What the fuck? You have no excuse. No. What? You can't sense what he's feeling. Really? Uh-huh. Really? Oh, well. Whatever. And then she has that horrible sexist moment where she and Pulaski are like, well, you know how men are. Uh-huh. Yeah, men. Yeah, we're always having to go downstairs and put on stupid armor so we can fake fight. Oh, wait, I've done that. They didn't uh, beam down to a planet, though. What do you mean downstairs? Downstairs. I don't think we've actually mentioned that on the show yet. Oh, the downstairs thing? This happened a few weeks ago where, where Matt, we're just we're just chatting, as we do. We've already seen the episode once. We're watching it again so we can mm-hmm. have stuff to talk about. And, uh, and Matt says, yeah, well, uh, maybe they should go back upstairs. I mean, beam back up to the ship. And... <laughs> I just realized that sort of, like, subconsciously, I guess, he thinks of beaming down to the planet as going downstairs. <laughs> and that's just a delightful image to me. I want the, I want that to happen. That just go down like a rickety old basement staircase to get to the planet? No, it's like spiral staircase. Yeah. And everyone has to file down behind each other, and it's all kind of cramped in. <laughs> yeah, I totally buy that. Yeah, this will have to do until we get the transporters fixed. <laughs> I told you I was working on it. Brian really doesn't like the stairs. <laughs> it just it means he's he's lost. He's defeated. Yep. He did something wrong. He failed. Um, oh, and then at the end of the episode, apparently they set a course for Beta Poopsick. <laughs> we both put that note down separately, so I know I didn't hear it wrong. <laughs> Your builder's house. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, oh, and... Else? I just want to mention, there's this one scene where Worf and Riker are talking about Riker's relationship with uh, with Bill Sr., mm-hmm. and he talks about how uh, he went fishing with his dad, 
uh, and his dad ended up uh, taking the pole away from him and catching a fish. And all I could think of was, yep. <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean, they, they, the thing is, there's some really good glimmers of, of some nice sort of tortured daddy issues. Here. Yeah. No, I uh, that one hit a little close to home. <laughs> yeah, my dad never had time to take me fishing, so... Uh, well, it's a like, boring sport. But, so. Like I said, every guy has daddy issues. This yep. is not, you know... This is not something that we will not have in the future, Gene. Mm-hmm. This will always be the case. Yep. I mean, we're both guys, and we both have them. This is this is a real thing. Yep. And it's a very human thing. Yep. But whatever. He thinks well, he knows best. Yeah, well, Gene, you're becoming less human every day. <laughs> All right. Anything else? No. Now I'm done. All right. Do you have a quote? I do have a quote. Uh, this is from the scene in 10 Forward where Data attempts to find out uh, <laughs> to find out how uh, Worf is doing. Excuse me, Lieutenant. You seem to have lost the will to communicate with others. You have friends here. We... We care about you. Why, just recently, Jordy Wesley and I were saying... With... I'll do respect. Be gone! <laughs> that was nice. Mm-hmm. I, um... I actually, you, you had mentioned you might go with the, the other quote. Oh, yeah, play that now, too. All right. That is a fish you are holding. I, I kind of wish you hadn't set that up first. Oh, yeah. I really just wanted to play that without any context at all. I really love that without context. Yep. It is a fish. Oh, well. All right, that is all for this week. Um, next week's show will be done live in front of an audience. Yep, if you can and- get there, be there. Yes, at the Emerald City Comic Convention. You do not need a ticket for the convention itself. We are outside the con proper. You can just meet us uh, in the performance space that we have, and we will be doing two episodes like we usually do. I think we're going to try and do a Q&A with the audience after that. I yep. can't guarantee that. It depends on time. Mm-hmm. We do have a table to man, and I don't want to be away from it for too long. But if we can manage to fit that in, I'd love to, you know, and if people have stuff to ask us, I would love to do that. Um our, our table at the convention is uh, booth E12 in Artist Alley, and the uh, actual live show is in room 204. Mm-hmm. That's at the Washington State Convention Center in Seattle, uh, Saturday, March 30th, uh, excuse me, 31st. Um, and the, the, the post-atomic horror show starts at 11 a.m. Uh, we're also doing a show for our other podcast, Sarcastic Voyage, at 3. You're certainly welcome to come to that as well. And again, if, you, if you're in Seattle... You don't have to go to the Emerald City Comic Con. You, you just go into the convention center, find us in that room, and you can just come in. Yeah. You'll, you'll see a sign outside with our logo on it, and that's the one. And another sign outside that says no. No, don't put your no sign up. We need people to come in and see the show and support the show. All right, we'll look for a sign that says yes, then. A uh, couple, couple of quick things. Um, the book that we were publishing for the convention will be available on our website the weekend after the convention. Mm-hmm. Um we, we only have a few copies to sell at our table. We want to make sure that anyone who meets us gets a copy. After that, we'll get some more, sell them through the website. It is a it is an episode guide of the first season, or the first, uh, all of, excuse me, all of the original series. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I said the first season. That is incorrect. Anything Kirk and Spock related. Yes, that is canon. I mean, that we didn't do canon. books and comics and all that, but we did. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> all uh, 79 episodes and the animated series and all the movies. Mm-hmm. And it's all in there. We also have a top-secret project coming soon, developed by my pal Bob, that is something very cool that we're not quite ready to announce yet, but it's very cool. Yep. So check that out. Uh, links to all this stuff on postatomichorror.com. 
We hope to see you at the live show, and oh my god, that's in a week, Matt. Oh god. Yep. So we gotta go prepare for that now. Go say your thing so we can do that. Yeah, goodbye, folks. That's not the thing. Say it right. (laughs) See ya, folks. Don't embarrass me in the live show. Oh my god. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.